Now I want to call your attention to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. We read from this passage a few moments ago the account of the Lord's encounter with one who is often called the maniac of Gadara, Mark chapter 5, and we'll read just two verses here at this time uh, around which our thoughts will be focused especially, and that is verses 17 and 18. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. The account here of these events on this day included in Matthew and Mark and Luke is surely one of the most dramatic scenes in the public ministry of our Lord. And though it may seem long ago and far away to us today, every one of us is here. Every one of us will see ourselves in this account in one way or another. And so let us consider what happened here and why. First of all, just to give the story and the setting of all these things, our Lord Jesus was a little over a year, as far as we know, at this point, into his public ministry on this earth, and news of him had spread quickly all over Palestine. Wherever he went, crowds followed him. Wherever he went, crowds met him and gathered together especially bringing their sick ones to be healed. That kind of of activity brought the multitudes, understandably so. And we read that our Lord healed them all, and he healed them immediately. Very different from the so-called healers of today. But that's another message. Usually, when our Lord, to say it, if I can say it reverently, rolled into town, he really walked into town, the people did not want him to leave. They wanted him to stay. Just earlier here in the Gospel of Mark, we see exactly that. Back in chapter 1, listen to this. At even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils, 
And all the city was gathered together at the door. This was uh, Capernaum, I believe. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And then in the morning, we get the, the picture, this, this ministry of our Lord extended on to late at night and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, you know, he, he, Jesus snuck out early to pray. And so Simon, Peter and other of the disciples, they sort of follow his tracks. They want to know where he went. When they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Why did you come out here? Don't you know there's people looking for you and calling for you? And that's how it was everywhere. Great demand upon the Lord. Sometimes there was no time to eat, it says. But listen to what Jesus says to Peter here on this occasion. Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Jesus insisted on traveling on and taking his ministry, not only his, his healing ministry, but his teaching and preaching ministry to other places, other cities and towns. Well, here in Mark chapter 5, our Lord and his disciples cross the Sea of Galilee. They, they start out in more or less the, the northwest corner of the sea and end up somewhere over uh, on the eastern side, perhaps the southeastern side of the sea. They go directly across and they land on a shore which apparently Jesus had not visited previously. And it is quite likely, I think, that the people there on that other side of the Sea of Galilee had heard reports of him. And if they had known that he was coming, if they had known his itinerary, no doubt they would have greeted him and flocked to hear. Why They would have had their sick people on the beach just waiting for him to step off of the boat. <clears throat> but he came unannounced, evidently. But you can imagine the uh, the excitement that it would stir for them to know that he was there and, and the welcome that he would receive as he did everywhere else he went at this point in his public ministry. But before he had time to go into town, here comes a demon-possessed man approaching Jesus. He was a man that was well known in town and in that whole countryside. He was a madman. He was not in his right mind. He was a demon-possessed man. 
He had extraordinary physical strength. They had tried to, to chain him up and tie him down to no avail. He would break the chains. He had extraordinary physical strength. He was uncontrollable. And he lived like an animal in the mountains. And it says in the tombs, and at least some of the tombs that they had in that mountainous area of, of the world in those days were more like little caves that had been carved out. And he makes his home in those empty tombs that people had had dug out awaiting their own death or the death of a loved one. He was fierce. People were afraid of him. Yes, he went around naked. He would injure himself. And if anyone else got close, he would injure them. According to uh, Luke's account, I believe it is. We call him the maniac of Gadara. He approaches the Lord Jesus in a hurry. It says that he ran to him. Verse 6. And fell down at his feet. That's the significance of that of the word worshipped there in verse 6. It doesn't mean worship from the heart. It means simply that he outwardly bowed before him at this stage. And he cries out. People in that area were familiar with his voice. They'd heard him cry. In the middle of the night as he's running up and down the mountains and so on. But here his cry is, verse 7, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. He, he says this in response to what Jesus had said according to verse 8. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And the response of the unclean spirit is, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. What he says in so many words is, Leave me alone! Now that's not exactly the greeting that Jesus normally Received in a place. But we see here the contrast. Everywhere Jesus went, everyone was eager to receive him, especially as he was working miracles and feeding the hungry and so on. But this man wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He didn't want to be bothered by him. He wanted to be left to himself. This man was possessed with a legion of demons. And the Lord cast them all out. 
We read about it there, beginning in verse 9. He asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. How many? At least 2,000, I think. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country, send the legion of demons out of the country. They were, and this is a whole other fascinating study, but there seems to be some territorial like on the part of the fallen angels. They're territorial beings in some instances, at least. They wanted to stay close by. Now there was, verse 11, there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine. They didn't want to be disembodied. Or, or they wanted a body to dwell in and to possess is a better way of saying it. If they couldn't stay in the man's body, then they would take... A pig's body. Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. This was a substantial loss to the owner of this uh, herd of swine. 2,000 hogs drown at once. Well, news was carried quickly by the, the keepers to the owner in the town, and they spread word along the way, and word spread around quickly, of course. And uh, a crowd approaches the beach there of the Sea of Galilee, and they came to investigate and see what was done, it says in verse 14. And they arrived, and the scene that they saw must have surprised them. No doubt they recognized this wild man whom they had tried again and again to conquer unsuccessfully. Now he's a conquered man. It's a tranquil scene. He is sitting and he's got clothes on and he's in his right mind. The grace of God transforms people so that they are peaceable and tranquil and they wear clothes and they have a right mind. And they see this stranger who they obviously identify as Jesus of Nazareth, the one that they've heard of. And it says they're afraid. At the end of verse 15, they seem to make a more formal inquest here, right there on the scene of the crime. They that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And the response of the people there in 
Gadara is they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. The word pray there simply means to beg, to plead. They're pleading with Jesus. Go back. Get back on the boat you came on and leave us. Leave us alone. You're not welcome here. There's no room for you here on our side of the lake. And the Lord Jesus agrees to their request. He doesn't even enter town. He turns right around and heads back to the boat. The boat had not yet departed. And so Jesus gets back on. And the man who had just been delivered of the legion of demons realizes what's about to happen. This great Jesus, this one who has just delivered me from all of my demons, who is undoubtedly the promised Messiah, he's really going to leave. And I've got to go with him. I want to follow him wherever he goes. And in my mind, I picture Jesus seated in that boat. It's called a ship. And the man, perhaps, is wading out in the water, making his way out to, the, to Jesus in the boat. But Jesus turns to him and he says, I must bid you farewell. You can't come with me. You've got to turn back. You've got to stay here. You can just imagine the, the disappointment in that man's heart. The pain. You suppose a tear came to his eye? What a letdown. It might have seemed a bit harsh. But Jesus had a better plan. His plan was, verse 19, go home to thy friends. You know, this man hadn't been at home in a long time. He'd been in the mountains and tombs and cemeteries. He hadn't had any friends. Now Jesus says, go home to thy friends. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And the man, verse 20, was happy to comply with this assignment. He departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. Decapolis was that whole region there of ten cities. And all men did marvel. This was a labor of love on the part of this man. No doubt he counted it a greater honor to do this than even to travel with Jesus back to Capernaum. Everywhere he went, you can just imagine the testimony that he gave. Hi, remember me. 
I'm the one you used to hear screaming out on the mountains at night. The one who could break every chain. Let me tell you what happened to me. A man named Jesus delivered me. I was full of devils. But I'm a new man thanks to him. You know, you should really get to know him. He is the Son of God. Now, what I want us to focus on for the remainder of our time here is this. Look at the striking contrast between the praying of verse 17 and the praying of verse 18. It's the same word in both verses. The people began to pray him to depart out of their coast. They're pleading with him to leave. And he that was come, or when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil pleaded with him, begged him just the opposite, that he might be with him. Very opposing desires. The people said to Jesus, go away. But the man said, if you leave, I want to come with you. And and this, I say, is a reversal of what had been the case just a little bit earlier that day. The people, we assume, would have welcomed him. And the man wanted nothing to do with him. The man says, What have I to do with thee? Now the attitude of the people has become more like that of the man that demon possessed earlier. They say, what have we to do with thee? Leave us alone. Go away. And the man's attitude is, let me go with you. The people wanted to escape from Christ The man wanted to escape with Christ. And so, beloved, here we see the only possible attitudes that a person can have toward Jesus Christ. We either desire to be free from him And to be far from him? Or we desire to be close to him and to be with him? We either want to put distance between him and us or we want to close that distance and be close to him. We either say, I don't want your company or else we say, I want your company more than anything else in this world. And these are the only possible attitudes. There's no third option. There's no middle ground. Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. Gathering in or scattering abroad. He said, no man can serve two masters. He'll love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. 
And so let's look just briefly, first of all, at the majority here who wanted nothing to do with Christ. And consider just briefly why that was so. The answer, no doubt, is given in verse 15 at the end of the verse. They were afraid. It was fear. And I'm indebted to Martin Lloyd-Jones for this simple outline here of what they were afraid of. We can mention at least three things. They were afraid, first of all, of losing everything. They'd already lost 2,000 pigs. And what else are they going to lose if Jesus stays in town? They said in so many words, we can't afford him. (laughs) He's expensive. He costs. And so they ask him to leave. It is the same today. Having Christ will cost you. Having Christ as your Lord and Savior will cost you. How much will it cost you? It will cost you everything. Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To be near to Christ costs. And the question that each of us must ask is this. Am I willing to lose my swine? Am I willing to lose them all? Are you willing to have your life interrupted and completely reoriented? Are you willing to be radically changed and to come under the government and authority of the King of Kings? Are you willing to deny yourself and bear your cross and follow Him to the death? Are you willing to lose your life figuratively and become an outcast to former friends, perhaps even family? Are you willing to sacrifice a career? That has happened to some people in some cases. To sacrifice an education as happened again and again in in communist countries and are you willing to lose your life literally if persecution arises this is why the majority of people today still avoid Christ and don't want him around 
They're afraid of losing. They're afraid of what it will cost. Secondly, the people were afraid, no doubt, of the power that had been demonstrated here on this day. Being in the presence of divine omnipotence is a frightening thing. We see that in the disciples. When Jesus calms the storm, well, it's like they haven't even paid any attention to the calm of the storm. Now they're afraid of Jesus because he has power over the storm. He's greater than the storm. And so it is here. These people are afraid of this raw power that they see in Jesus of Nazareth. And it's a frightening thing. It's an overwhelming thing, especially if you perceive that power to be against you. And of course, the Lord's power had been manifested in a, in a good way. Jesus himself says in verse 19 that he'd had compassion on this man. It's as if the people didn't care about this man. They're just thinking about themselves and their swine. Jesus had showed mercy. He had used his power in a merciful way toward this man. But these people of Gadara preferred a raging demoniac wandering around over the presence of the one who had power over those demons. They said in so many words, it's easier to live with a maniac than to live with almighty power. And it is still the same today. And there's a number of ways we could apply this. I'll just say this. It is obvious that our popular culture in our country today prefers satanic power over divine power as demonstrated in, I believe it was the Grammy Award show or something a couple of weeks ago. They prefer satanic power over divine power. But a, a third reason for their fear here in Mark chapter 5 very quickly was no doubt this, fear of conviction of sin. This one who had come ashore, this Jesus of Nazareth, had demonstrated by, by his great power that he is not just an ordinary man. He is the God-man. And such a one as this, they said, surely knows all about us. He must know all of the evil in us. And the fear of sin being exposed and the fear of feelings of guilt at the exposure of your sin made them say, leave us alone. Having Jesus around was like having a spotlight shining on them all the time. And that to them was unbearable. It reminds us, doesn't it, of Adam in Genesis chapter 3, after he had sinned, 
trying to hide from God because being in the presence of God was unbearable as a sinner. That's what's going on here in Mark chapter 5. And yes, it is the same today. Men love darkness rather than light. We don't want to come to the light. We don't want to have the spotlight of God's eye and God's truth shine upon us because it exposes our sin. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Jesus was the light and the people said, get the light away from us. And it's the same today. People want nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible because he exposes their sin. His perfect, sinless, holy life is in such contrast to us. And some people may try to downplay the holiness of Christ and make him less than pure and spotless so that they can be comfortable in their sin. But that's not the Christ of the Bible. And so for all of these fears, the people ask him to depart. I hasten on here to verse 18, where this man pleads with the Lord that he might be with him. And let's again ask, why would he have that desire to be with Christ? Though it's not stated, I think it's surely obvious that the man was grateful. He's thankful. He hasn't even had an opportunity to say thanks with all the excitement going on here. He wants to follow Christ out of a heart of gratitude for having transformed him, delivered him from all of this demonic evil that was in him. He had been the object of compassion and mercy from Jesus. And he wants to thank him. He wants to thank him every day. He wants to thank him for the rest of his life. He says, let me come with you. And we who know the Lord know something of this desire, do we not? We want to be with him because we owe him a debt of gratitude that we can never pay Because he came from heaven to earth to live and to die and to rise again for our salvation. He bore our sins. He bore the wrath of God in his death on the cross when he became answerable for our offenses. And we want to express our gratitude to him. And it will take eternity to express our gratitude. To him. We will never end. Perhaps another reason this man wanted to be with Jesus is that he did not trust himself. He didn't trust being left alone. 
Perhaps he thought, if I don't stay close to Jesus, I may relapse into my former state. I know what I'm capable of left to myself. I want to stay with him. I don't want to go back to that life. I want to stay in this happy new condition of deliverance and peace. And it is the same today. You and I, believer in Christ, know that left to ourselves, oh, how quickly we would drift back into former sins or maybe even worse than former sins. But temptations lose their power when Christ is near. As the hymn writer says, we want to stay close to Christ so we can stay far away from sin. And then no doubt the man wanted to be with Christ just because he liked his company to be in, in, in his presence and to have fellowship with him became such a, an appealing prospect. The man thought, I've never known anyone like him. He is so good, so merciful, so pure and clean. This is my element now. This is where I want to be. I cannot live without him. I cannot be happy without him. No one else compares to him. And believing friend, have you not found it so? There's no friend like Jesus. None so merciful. None so pure and peaceful, true and faithful. We can't imagine being far away from him anymore. We love his company. We love him. We long for more of him. We want to be with him. We're pilgrims and strangers passing through this world. We want to be with Christ in glory. And there are passages in the Psalms that, that speak of this that we can identify with. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. So, in contrast with the people of Gadara, we recognize that whatever we may lose following Christ, we gain much more than we lose. And that his almighty power is not against us, but it is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And though his infinite knowledge exposes our sin, we know it's necessary. When he exposes our sin, he's doing us a favor so that we might repent of it, that we might forsake it. Now, let me make some closing observations here, and I'll do this as quickly as I can. Consider first that the people of Gadara got their request. 
There is no record throughout the remainder of the life of our Lord that he ever returned to that region. We should learn to be careful what we ask God for. Lost friend, be careful what you ask God for. He may grant it. To those who say to him, depart from us. He may depart. But he will one day say, depart from me forever. And so while on the one hand, a bad request was granted, a good request was not granted. The request of the man himself was rejected. But it was because Jesus had a better plan for him. And Christian friend, if Jesus does not answer your prayer in the way that you desire, be assured that he has a better plan and that his plan is always best. One old writer says, God will either answer your prayers or give you something better. Another observation is this. Jesus left Gadara, but he did not leave Gadara without a witness in the person of this man. And Christian friends, we are the voice for Christ in our Gadara. Let us fulfill our assignment as this man did. Let us be missionaries wherever we are. And so then I close with this. Though it may seem long ago and far away, yes, each of us is represented here in this passage of Scripture. Either in the people of of Gadara that pleaded with Christ to leave or with this delivered man who pleads to be with Christ. Which one are you? It's one or the other. Do you want to keep a safe distance from Jesus? Or do you want to be as close to him as possible? If you want him and want to be with him, if you see in him all that is good and desirable and delightful and all that is necessary to the saving of your soul, if nothing else can satisfy you but him, oh, my friend, come to him. And call upon him, and he will receive you. He will not turn you away, and he will deliver you from your sin. And he will live in your heart by his Holy Spirit. And soon you will go to be with him in glory forever. And he will more than satisfy all of your desires forever. Amen.